Welcome to this week's episode of the Sustainer segment. I'm Danielle Zuccaro, the Sustain Life Coordinator with LifeSite News, and we are privileged to bring you this week's episode of Sustainer Questions and John Henry Weston's answering of your questions. The Sustainer segment is a bi-weekly exclusive featuring questions that are submitted from our sustaining monthly donors. Our sustainers are our monthly donors who give to LifeSite generously month in and month out to keep our programming and our news afloat and to bring you all the latest coverage on all of the issues most important to you. Our sustainers get exclusive access to team members, to behind-the-scenes reports that LifeSite puts out, and as our newest perk, sustainers get to submit their questions to John Henry um, and are possibly featured as part of this show. So if you'd like to become a sustainer, we invite you to sign up below or go to give.lifesitenews.com slash sustain life. And this week's show is a good one for you, so we hope that you stay tuned. We'll begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, John Henry, to the show, and thank you so much for being here to answer our sustainer questions. Thank you, Danielle. Always a pleasure. Our questions this week are quite varied. We have uh, things related to the recent election, um, the COVID and vaccines, and also some issues related to the church. So we'll dive right in with our very first question this week from Joe in New York City, New York. He asks, why are you at LifeSite covering so much of the COVID and COVID vaccine issues and not a lot more on your core life and family issues? Well, thank you, Joe, for the question. It's an interesting one because we've often got that kind of question over our nearly 25 years of existence at LifeSite. Um, Because we're called LifeSite, a lot of people think, hey, why are you covering the LGBT issue? Or why are you covering um, the church issues? Why are you covering, and now it's often why you're covering the COVID issues. Well, for one thing, uh, LifeSite's approach has always been, uh, from our very, very beginning, to cover what is going on both in terms of life and family and cultural issues. We have fought the kind of communist sort of tyranny right from our outset. In fact, one of the first projects that I was on uh, prior to even the start of LifeSite, when we were all still working with Campaign Life Coalition, the uh, pro-life group in Canada out of which we were founded, Uh, was actually to research what was going on with the machinations toward a new world order, one world government, um, that were already happening way back in the early 90s. And so uh, at this point, uh, we've been covering what actually we started reporting on way back then, because it's finally we're seeing the imposition of this kind of a communist control, not only... Uh, in Canada and the United States, but globally. Um, And so it's very much in line with our reporting. Not only that, with the COVID vaccines, of course, they are abortion-tainted. And so abortion itself is also in the mix, if you will, of what's going on. But also it's fundamentally a life issue in, in many respects with regard to the COVID and the vaccines themselves. And I'll explain that really quick. Remember with COVID... You had Dr. Zelenko 
uh, actually where you're from, uh, who started treating uh, patients because he had the highest, probably one of the highest concentration of COVID patients in the whole of the United States, perhaps the whole world. And he was trying to figure out because he was a, an Orthodox Jew, as were um, most of his uh, clientele or, or his patients were. And so he was trying desperately to figure out a way to treat these folks who had come down with this, uh, you know, deadly uh, pathogen and that we know as COVID-19 um, now, uh, which of course was lab originated in, in, in China. And so we have a treatment that was denied people knowingly. So old treatments, ivermectin, HCQ, and so on, which were actively denied people when they were known to be saving lives. And then that information suppressed and suppressed and suppressed. So there's very much a life agenda at play. And what we're seeing with the imposition of vaccines and the ignoring of the uh, vaccine adverse event database that showing massive numbers of deaths from the vaccine, far more than any vaccine rollout has ever had. In fact, more so than all of the vaccine injuries recorded over the years. Uh, you really do start to wonder what the agenda is here. And we know that it's very much a pro-life question. Our next question is based on the church and also um, it's an interesting one from Aaron in Iowa. And he writes, a huge modern fallacy is that we have been programmed to blindly believe authority. This is obviously a primary channel for the devil to work through, corrupt authority. But as Catholics, we have been primed to trust our authorities. When we know they are corrupt, how does a person recognize truth from lies? How do I recognize truth? In the Catholic Church, we, we do have uh, authorities. You know, we are, uh, in, in a way the sort of spiritual children of our spiritual fathers, first of all, our priests, our bishop, and then ultimately the Pope. But it's always in line with Jesus Christ. The, the Pope is not the head of the church by any means. The head of the church is Christ. The Pope is obviously subservient not only to Christ, but to all of his teachings, and they're unchangeable teachings. So it's very easy to understand in light of a family, and, and often the things in the church are uh, very understandable by means of family. In fact, when Christ was trying to explain to us uh, the relationship between himself and the church, he used that image of the family himself. So St. Paul himself through his apostles, of course. So St. Paul, when he's talking about the relationship of Christ to his church, gives the image of a husband and wife. Um, and so that familial imagery is very important. And so here you can actually see how that imagery works very well. In the case, and you mentioned when there's corrupt leadership, corrupt authority, what do you do? Well, very much like what you do in a family. In a family, when, and, and sadly, we've seen this a lot, when the father, the head of the family, uh, is abusive, things need to be done. Actions need to be taken because he is the rightful authority in the family. Normally, the person to whom wife would go and, and, and children would go for, uh, children especially for authority and wife for consultation and help and, and the wife being a help to the husband. So all of that in a normal circumstance works perfectly well. That, that's what it's all aimed for, what it's all about. And so normally in the church, the faithful can look to their priest, to their bishop, to the Holy Father 
for clarity. And that's what it's all supposed to be for. In fact, the job of the Pope, as laid out by Christ to St. Peter, was confirm your brothers in the, tr- in the faith, in the truth. Um, and that's sadly not what's going on. We do have an abusive situation right now where massive division and confusion is coming right from the Pope himself. And that sort of brings us to this situation where we have in the world abusive fathers. And so then what happens? Well, sometimes the children in the family, when they're old enough, uh, or the spouse, the wife, um, needs to bring that truth, needs to bring that fact that the abuse is going on out to the children to protect them. Uh, The children, maybe older children, need to protect their younger siblings or even their their moms uh, in abusive situations. They don't do that out of any kind of hatred for the dad. If they're doing it properly, they don't do that out of hatred for the dad. In fact, they're doing that out of love for the dad so that the dad doesn't see himself uh, lost in in terms of the moral life, the eternal life. Uh, They do that to protect the mom and the other siblings. And so it really is an act of love, just like it's an act of love when parents need to correct children not easy to do, it's not comfortable to do, it's not comfortable for the child or comfortable uh, for the parent for that matter, but yet it has to be done out of responsibility and out of love. And so that's the situation we're in. We do have an authoritative structure set up by Christ that way on purpose, exactly the same way that you know we have in a, in a family, and yet there can be these abusive situations, which are sad, but we have to deal with. Ultimately, in terms of authority, The church has been very, very blessed, both with scripture and tradition. And so we can always look to scripture to see where we're at, but the scriptures have to be interpreted properly. In uh, in the writings of St. Peter, in the scriptures, we learn that some of the writings of St. Paul can be interpreted to people's own destruction. And so we can't just rely on the scriptures, so we rely on tradition of the church. And so you can see all through the history of the church, the teachings haven't changed. And that's really, really key. And because we know there was a lot of fooling around in the church that didn't just start, you know, in the last seven years with Pope Francis. It started a long time ago. In fact, it probably started before the Second Vatican Council, but definitely at the time of the council, there was a lot of consternation. A lot of the same figures we see now manipulating the church, trying to steer her in a false direction. Cardinal Casper and the Sangal and Mafia group, who we know about now, um, they were involved in the Second Vatican Council and already trying there, by their own admission, to make mess of things. And so we have, uh, you know, before the Council, a very authoritative catechism, a writing, a compilation of all of the teachings of the Church that pertain even to this day in the Roman Catechism, in the Catechism of the Council of Trent. And I would encourage people to Go have a look. If you're wondering about what is the exact teaching of the church on a particular question, that's probably the most authoritative thing. We know with the 1992 Catechism, uh, which, by the way, was compiled with the help of Cardinal Schonborn, there were errors in it. Uh, In fact, uh, I was one of the early recipients of it. And when we got it, uh, a while later, we had to have a correction uh, interestingly, uh, one of the correction, uh, you were sent uh, corrective uh, pages, if you will, uh, but one of the questions was on homosexuality, the very issue which Cardinal Schonborn is so plagued with now, you know, having these homosexual activists come to his, to his cathedral church, wrapping his, um, the um, pillars at the cathedral in rainbow, uh, rainbows and things like this. So, 
I would very much encourage people, if they're looking for solidity uh, in terms of the teaching of the faith, go check out the Roman Catechism. The next question is actually a good follow-up to that. The question is from Bernadette, who is in England, and she asks, how can we proceed further to enlighten our bishops when they fail to both recognize and address the serious issues raised to them? There's something really encouraging we can do. First of all, the obvious answer is prayer and penance. Remember, our Lord said that, you know, some demons only uh, leave with prayer and fasting. And so fasting for your spiritual leaders, for your bishops, uh, for the Pope, uh, for their conversion sometimes, uh, is, is really essential. It's, it's a really powerful thing to do. In addition to that, there's also practical things we can do. So over the years of LifeSite, we've learned a number of things. One of them is that, first of all, bishops, in addition to being the spiritual leadership uh, that they're supposed to be, uh, even if they're not acting the way they should, are also men. And so men act on a number of things, just like we all do. They're influenced by friends. They're influenced also by pressure. Um, and so if you're in a position or you know someone who's in a position who's good, encourage them to befriend their priest or their bishop because they're men and they need friends and they have friends. And very often, they're not good friends because the the powers that be on the other side, as our Lord said often, you know, often the children of this world are wiser uh, than the children of light. But we've got to be as cunning as serpents and innocent as doves. And so to learn this truth that our spiritual leaders are also men and they also need companionship, friendship, and friendships are often very, very influential. Uh, I've witnessed it myself where good uh, laymen have led priests and bishops to do the right thing. Other priests, of course, as well. But uh, very often you have this influence and it's an incredible thing. Bishops get backbones by some laymen who are so good, so holy, so influential in their lives, and it's an amazing thing. There's also the issue of pressure, and that's why at LifeSite we have life petitions, we have voter voice campaigns, we encourage sometimes rallies and all sorts of demonstrations in order to apply pressure. And I'm going to give you an example that quote-unquote worked, if you will. Um, you know, we've had cases where bishops have done the wrong thing. And even when they're not uh, particularly good bishops, uh, when given the pressure uh, from the faithful, good pressure to do the right thing, they will acquiesce and do the right thing. Remember our Lord's example in the scriptures of the unjust judge who wouldn't act and wouldn't act, but that persistent knock of the widow on his door drove him so crazy. He finally gave in to do the right thing, not because he was wanting to do the right thing at all. In fact, because she was so persistent. And so um, at LifeSite, we've had several campaigns where um, even bishops have been um, encouraged, I guess you could say, uh, to do the right thing, both by petition, by demonstrations, Always done in charity. We have to remember, though, whenever we're doing this, it really doesn't help someone to badger them in a way that is um, insulting, in a way that is, um, uh, you know, uh, trying to cast them down. Because that 
actually serves the opposite purpose. They might get their backs up. They might just decide, forget it. I'm never going to you know, help these kind of people. But if we do it, still creating pressure, but with a real charity, um, we're out there, let's say, uh, on our knees in front of the bishop's palace, uh, praying the rosary for the bishop's conversion. Uh, we're out there demanding for our children the right to have catechetical teaching that's true and honest, the when we go and report on the sometimes horrific things that are being taught in Catholic schools, and therefore calling the bishop to, and or pastor, of course, this works for pastors as well, to account in a way that's charitable, but demonstrates their lack of appreciation for our proper role as parents uh, and our authority over our children's education. Um, These things work and sometimes can be very powerful. Um, Do you remember the bishop who condemned the young man who was being confronted at the March for Life? There was a a young man at the March for Life and some uh, Native American leader came and was banging a drum in his face. And of course, the media spun it to be, you know, the young man was uh, all in the wrong. uh, And uh, he was condemned by a couple of bishops publicly. They never talked to him. They just condemned him publicly. And then it was found out, oh, but he was the young man was the innocent party and it was actually the bullying action of that Native American leader. And then the bishops didn't apologize, except there was quite a bit of pressure applied to one of the bishops who did in fact come out and apologize. So we've had these incidences where pressure has been successful. It was a pressure done that uh, was done respectfully Uh, But it was done nonetheless. And the bishop's office got a lot of phone calls. And he came out and did the right thing in the end. And this is what we hope for. Because these men are our spiritual leaders. We are trying to get them to do the right thing in Christ. And we should be grateful. One last thing on on this thing. Because bishops are men as well, some people refer to them as politicians and mitres. But let's not go there. But, you know... Very often, they hear from the faithful only when something is wrong. And very often, we forget when something good happens to tell our bishops how grateful we are. We need to do that. We need to do that for our politicians too, but for the bishops, we really need to do that. So if your bishop, for instance, is during this time of COVID allowing communion on the tongue still, please, please go out and say thank you because that, you know what, that's rare. If your bishop has stood up to defend Catholic education in a Catholic school and let's say on life issue or the family issue, tell him thank you. Very important things. They need to hear when they do the right things because surely they're going to hear from the other side. And um, again, it's about us taking up our proper role as the laity. But thank you for the question. Very good answer. Thank you so much, John Henry. This is a political question, so we'll go into that vein for a second. The question is from Linda in Richmond, Virginia. Linda writes, what do you make of the recent election victories in Virginia and the future of conservative issues in politics? It's so nice to have good news to report. Um, And it's that that was not only a shot in the arm for all of America, It's a shot in the arm internationally to see 
basically the Biden agenda shot down in a very real way, not only in the governor's election, but then also in the races around Virginia. These are very powerful signals that really send a message uh, to politicians generally, but also to the public in that the faithful public who care about life, and family, and general American values, as the founding fathers intended, there's still a fighting chance. And that's the thing, not to be discouraged, because I think really, had we seen something go awry in Virginia, the deflation of the movement for life and family, for, for morality, would have really taken a massive hit. But with this victory has come... Uh, really a boost in the arm that I think a lot of people needed. So it was a great joy to see. And I I think it should inspire uh, other states to go for it, other political leaders to recognize, hey, wait a minute. Um, you know, sometimes they have these values themselves and they feel, oh, I have to, I have to just go against that because there's no support for it. Actually, there is. Um, you know, we, people have talked a lot about a silent majority and whatnot. But what's going on right now is threatening democracy as we know it, the whole, any any kind of semblance of freedom. And there's a lot more people than you might think who are on side over this, including people who have themselves been, you know, gotten the jab uh, because they're still for freedom for their relatives and friends who are being denied their jobs, who are being kicked out of places of worship. That's not the American way. That's not freedom at all. Um, also, with regard to, uh, you know, in, in Loudoun County in, in Virginia, you had this horrific thing going on in the bathrooms uh, where there was abuse. There was sexual abuse by a male, um, of course, pretending to be a female. Um, and then this was covered up in one school, transferred to another school, and then tried to be covered up again. So it's unbelievable. Who would think that you would could possibly cover up rape. What haven't we gone through enough? Everybody says, oh, it's the church that has done that forever and it's so terrible. We would never do that as a society. Well, nonsense. Here we saw it go on in a public school over what? To protect the LGBT agenda. And so honestly, I had, I think that also had a that was going on all during the elections. And I think that has a major role as well uh, in terms of the outcome. So we've seen, in a way, a beating down of the agenda of this radical LGBT agenda, of this radical anti-freedom, you know, vaccine agenda. And uh, it's, it's really brought a lot of hope. This one comes to us from Teresa, who lives in the Bahamas. Teresa writes, in my country, the Bahamas, our bishop has forbidden all priests to give Holy Communion on the tongue. One can only take it on the hand. This came into place in February of this year. I believe it is wrong to take Holy Communion in the hand as our unconsecrated hands should not touch the body of our Lord. What should I do? I have not received Holy Communion since February, although I attend daily Mass except for three times when I had the opportunity to go to Florida on a short trip to attend Mass there. There is no end in sight. What would God's will be to continue to refrain from taking it on the hand or to take it as there is no other option? Wow. So let me start saying I'm no theologian, but I can just tell you from my conversations with Bishop Schneider and my own conviction that, you know, um, 
I don't feel in conscience I could receive Holy Communion in hand. I agree with you with regard to um, unconsecrated hands. Um, you know, it's funny. We uh, watch the priest hold the monstrance, which is the golden sort of receptacle that's used uh, to hold our Lord in the Eucharist when he's exposed in the Blessed Sacrament for adoration. And uh, we watch the priest put a covering over his hands to touch the monstrance. Um, and that's always very confusing nowadays, because if everybody can trapes up and receive our Lord in the hand, then is it the gold maybe that we're thinking is so reverential that we have to? No, obviously not. It's ridiculous. But such confusion happens when we start down these practices, by the way, which were forbidden in the church. Remember, uh, in the early church, they forbade, um, I believe it was sometime around 400 or something like that. But anyway, they forbade communion in the hand for, uh, what was it, like over a thousand years. Um, so it, it is a very strange practice. And if you listen to an interview I did with Bishop Schneider on the question, um, he was very, very serious about wondering if, you know, all of what we're experiencing right now isn't some kind of punishment for just such an abuse. So no, I wouldn't uh, receive Holy Queen in the hand. Now, with regard to being in a particular place where it's sort of not allowed, application can be made to priests um, because there is a higher law than the bishop's law. So the bishop might have said no communion on the tongue, but that's a right reserved to Catholics um, by the Roman Curia, which supersedes the bishop. So you can't have a, a law <laughs> that is from a lower court, let's say, that says, oh, I want to trump the Supreme Court just because. They can't. So that ruling by the bishop is totally illegitimate doesn't stand for anything. So any good priest should be able to know that they can and should and must distribute Holy Communion to those in a worthy state to receive on the tongue, as the Church has always done. Um, and if you're looking for references on that, I actually did a blog post where um, I quoted how the, um, the Vatican responded to just such a question, saying, no, the, the priest isn't bound to obey his bishop in an unlawful order like that. So going to talk to good priests, getting them that Vatican letter, which you can find uh, in my blog po post on the question of receiving Holy Communion in the hand, knowing too that if you can get to an SSPX church or of FSSP, where I think they do still allow communion on the, on the, um, on the tongue, but also even... Um, Orth uh, not Orthodox, what are they called? Um, Byzantine Rite and Ukrainian Rite churches, where they actually give Holy Communion. They can't give it on the hand because they give communion by with intinction. So they dip the body of our Lord into the precious blood and administer Holy Communion that way. And those churches uh, have and still continue to uh, administer Holy Communion the only way they can uh, on the tongue uh, or in the mouth, if you will. So you might want to go that route as well, because that, those are uh, legitimate uh, uh, ways to receive our Lord and Holy Communion, legitimate ways to attend your Mass. And um, yeah, but I really, I, I really feel for you. I, I went through a little period here where um, we were, were also not permitted, and uh, it's, a, it's a very great cross to bear, but one that you can bear in love. And our Lord will provide for uh, your spiritual sustenance with uh, 
you know, because you're doing this for him, out of reverence for him, and he being the loving God and Father that he is, will bless you for honoring him in this way. Think about it yourself. If your child came to you and, uh, you know, someone was demanding that uh, in order to see you that uh, he first, um, I don't know, uh, ripped up a picture of you or or spit on a picture of you or something, and you refused um, and tried to profess your love from out the window or whatever instead, you wouldn't resent that child for uh, not spitting on your image or whatever out of reverence for you. You would honor that child. You would love that child. And it's the only thing I can think of with regard to our Lord. He will honor you for that decision as painful as it is. Thank you. And our final question is an interesting one to wrap us up for this week's segment. It's from Mary Jo in Overland Park, Kansas. And she writes, I have a daughter that has been homeschooled for all her life and went to a conservative college. Should a good Catholic date a Jewish man? I think the, the scriptures are very clear. The church teaching is very clear. And it comes from the scriptures. It's, it's very obvious. Do not be unequally yoked. Um, and uh, unequally yoked obviously refers to, you know, marrying within your faith. And um, it's very difficult. Dating isn't something that uh, the, the modern concept of dating isn't Christian at all. So the modern concept of dating to, to uh, God knows what is, is not what we should be doing. Dating, or, or, or probably better called courtship, is it? You, you date someone, you court someone who you have a possibility of marrying. So uh, these things are, are difficult for, with young people. It's, it's hard to know what to do properly. There's always the hope that people convert. Yes, that's true. But uh, this is not a, a, a good way to go. Um, and uh, it, it's something that you really need to consider. If your first and foremost love is Christ and our all of our other considerations, whatever they may be, even family considerations are have to be second. And to uh, get into a relationship, an amorous relationship with with someone of a, of a different faith is a very dangerous road to go down for your own faith, but also for the faith of your children. Um, and um, it's not only not advisable, it's a very um, it's very precarious. Can you like a person? Yes. Can you encourage them to convert? Yes, by all means. In fact, you're showing them true love when you try and present them with the fullness of the truth. And hopefully you can get there. But to enter into uh, something more than a friendship before uh, a conversion is had is something that's very dangerous indeed. Well, that brings us to the end, John Henry. So thank you very much for your time. And thank you all for watching this week's episode of the Sustainer segment. If you are a Sustainer, we welcome you to submit your questions to us. And if you are not yet a Sustainer and would like to be, we invite you to become a monthly donor by joining our community of many, many thousands of Sustainers around the world by going to give.lifesitenews.com slash sustain life or by clicking the link below in the description. And that will bring us to the end of this week's Sustainer segment, but we invite you to check back next time for more questions from our Sustaining Monthly Donors. And just before we go, let me just say how grateful we are for your support. 
you know, you keep us going. And uh, without you, we could never do this. For all of the more than 60 of us here at LifeSite News, thank you. Thank you so much and may God bless you.